0: Okay, this is Josh T. Franco interviewing Gala Porus kim in her car in Los Angeles (laughs) (laughs) on August 20th, 2020 for the Smithsonian Institution's Archives of American Art Pandemic Project. Uh, Gala, thanks for taking some time to talk to me for the archives (laughs) and for the record, and we really are just starting with how have you been doing since March, and maybe say a little bit about who you are.
1: Uh, Well, thank you for inviting me to participate in this project. I think this has been the most intense time ever for many of us. And it's really great to be able to be collecting sort of a record of how it has really affected the way that our production is made here. But at least for me, my life in February and now is so different that I hope that when things might ever get back to normal, I'm not such a different person altogether that it's irrecognizable all the way, you know? Mm. I think that it has definitely been, ugh, I mean, now now we're in August and it's so hard to even think about life in February anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, let's start with um, what things have been canceled or postponed. That's a
1: Oh, my God. So I I actually was in doing a fellowship at Harvard during the time. So I had been there since September because it was a year long sort of project that I was working on there um, with the Peabody and their collection. They have Chichen Itza artifacts from the sacred cenote. And for me, you know, the way that I usually make work is like maybe if it was a nine month period, you know, six and a half of those months is researching the project. And then the last two is like production. So actually in February, I had met with the director of the Peabody because part of the project was to, um, you know, request the sacred cenote objects to be deaccessioned from the museum. So then we could put them back in the sacred cenote because they belong to Chalk, the rain god. And so then, in a sense, it's this legal project that is, like, through the law, um, um, litigate on behalf of the deity to get his stuff back, No, So yeah. the way that happened was that in February, I met with the director. And then, of course, in March, when we were about to start, um, you know, I was going to start the production part of the project, which is really the end bit. It's pretty much done minus the fabrication. Then it just had to stop. And so then I think that in March... I mean, I I was working on really literally seven seven projects for I think it's four four museum shows and then other institutions that, at the time, like Sao Paulo Biennial, Guangzhou Biennial, like show in New York. All of these things just got shoved. And you know that weird week in March when you thought it was gonna last for only like a month or so. Right. So I really spent my time like I would say March 13th like that week when they they closed the school they sent the students home but there was still the chance of us actually staying there as fellows Mm -hmm. so I like tried to get a barn to move my studio there and then like then when it was like that moment where it's like you can't really drive outside then I thought okay I moved my studio into my apartment on the second floor And so then, you know, and it's also during that time when it was so freaky that I didn't hire anybody to like help me move this stuff. So, and I have, I make very large drawings. So it was such an intense like shuffle of like studio stuff that I was like, I will never in the, you know, never had planned to not be able to manage the scale of my studio alone, no? Because I think that maybe the pandemic part was just that it had made me become... You know, because like my, my studio production is large enough that I do have a lot of help, but to be able to manage it alone is not possible. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that that at least in March was the big thing the the, the my project at Harvard got postponed indefinitely. You know, I, I was working on a show at the Rose Museum, which now because of budget cuts, it first moved to a smaller room. And then I don't even know if it will actually happen Ooh. altogether my show in April in New York got moved, TBD, and now it's like, you know, the frames are getting made in Boston, the drawings are made here, the show is in New York, so it's like a logistic nightmare, Yeah. You know, and of course, so, the two biennials that were supposed to be in September, then one got shoved to February, and now we're just waiting to see what, how it will know
0: well there you're dealing with two different countries also
1: totally yeah and it was really interesting seeing both of them because they were both supposed to open like one week apart in september and then of course one in korea and one in sao paulo and just you know of course when korea was like really high in the beginning it was like no way it's gonna happen and they're (laughs) so good with the COVID, and they moved it really uh, soon, and then Sao Paulo was not moving, and it was just like, what is happening? And it's just, you know, that it's coming. So it's this wave of feeling where it's mm-hmm. like, there's no motivation for me to actually spend the energy fabricating this work when all of these other things are on fire when i know that it will get postponed and now it's next september as far as i know and so then in a sense it was just like hedging your bets and where to focus the energy yeah and there was so funny because there was one point where you know i have a small show at the harvard uh, at the Radcliffe gallery which is a very small venue and in a sense there was one point where all of my big giant shows were so unstable that the only stable one was the small gallery and i was talking to meg the director and i was like She might end up with my biennial project in this very small gallery because it's the only one that might actually be open or something you know
0: yeah oh my god incredible what was the move like from east coast to west (sighs) coast in the middle did you drive everything is stuff still back in boston Uh,
1: no so so the other thing was that you know i had four student assistants that got sent home first so i actually ended up with a lot of their stuff because i thought i was going to be able to store it And so then I actually, I was there, you know, when I went there, I I moved with my partner and and kid. And so they were actually in LA. So first I said, when they canceled school, I shipped my kid back. And then it was just, um, you know, I got two of these giant pods or something. And then like one was for my studio. One was for all of this house. I had this like three person full house there. And then they got shipped back. And then I drove back across the country with my dog. And it was literally like four days of driving. I did it so fast. And then just like planning on staying in like, you know, hotels that hadn't been with some person for at least a couple of days or so. But, you know, now when I think about it now in August, it's like that number was so small compared to now and how like, you know, how. The amount of paranoia and stress and anxiety at the time compared to the number, I'm like, I don't even know how I'm even outside now because the number is like five million, and in California is insane. And to be able to be like, Oh, I'm actually getting in touch with some really weird survival animal sense where it's overriding my brain, you know what I mean?
0: Whoa, so say more about that, that's interesting. Like, just the choice, yeah, because
1: you know, of course, you're a logical person and you're like, Okay, I can see that the number makes it's so scary you know what I mean but it's like and I'm a very 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 responsible person you know the first four when I drove back I actually uh, ended up quarantining in my studio for the first uh, Mm. couple of weeks and then my studio was actually in construction while I was gone in the studio so I landed in the middle of construction like everything was packed up and then also a side note that i also like was separating from my partner at the time so in a sense it was just like compounded by the fact that i'm like why do i have to like overachieve in timeline of crisis time you know like it's not only corona my <laughs> projects are moving like my fucking relationship is done everything
0: wow what so <sighs> what's the um what is your studio situation in la is it separate from your home can you access it Obviously, yeah
1: so i i actually have have a studio that's separate from my living spot but because also you know I separated from my partner like he ended up with my house and I ended up with the studio logically it was like by default I was going to end up with the studio and so I actually do have a small you know it's functional for living but it was during mm-hmm. construction it was such an intense time because it was you know cleaning I spent all of it. I landed here April 1st and then I spent all of April cleaning the studio because it was so dusty and of course the crew was not working anymore and then of course it's a really great space for making art because the light there's no natural light so the light is consistent the whole time Mm. but for living it was making me crazy because you can't you know like I was like I thought I was a vampire but I actually need sunlight (laughs) and so I spent like end of April and May like opening up all of the existing windows that were used to be boarded up Mm-hmm. And so then I, I, you know, without going to Home Depot, because I was like, oh, no, I have, you know, I can't go outside. So literally April and May, I did not go outside only to the grocery store, like once a month. Yeah. And, and then um, once May happened, was just trying to like really get a hold of these projects, you know, because I was like, okay, April and May, people will, you know, institutions will be like sorting their thing out. Nobody knows what is happening it has to settle down a little bit and like for people to get a grounding on how to even not be anxious it's just like bare minimum surviving first and then practical things like work like what is work you know (laughs) um yeah and so then in may it's just like reshuffling all the projects and i had to change pretty much most of the projects that i've been working on because now i don't have the production capability to make all of the way the way that it was planned you know I cannot by myself I hired one assistant now because my studio is big enough that we can be on either corner but with the two of us there's no way to fill all of the space so what it ended up happening was that I'm trying I've I've re I don't know if it will work but I'm 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 proposing to switch the the catalog budget with the exhibition budget and make a book sculpture that will be like an edition work that will contain all of the information and uh, literally embody the exhibition in a mm. way that might not people might not actually have to go see the work and the and the works in the physical space would be like a supplement to this book, so opposite style yeah. no.
0: It's interesting um, that you're going for a book and not taking advantage of the virtual thing that we've all been thrust onto.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've never been a very technologically, you know, per- I mean, I do work with a lot of like, you know, archaeological technology and thinking about mm-hmm. those terms. But like, I literally had my assistant in Harvard, like set up my Google Drive, because I didn't know how to do it. No, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah. And the idea, you know, like I, I I do have some works, like, you know, sound works or, or, you know, old video works. I'm not close to that idea, but in a sense to be able to, I, you know, to me, the, the venue, which would be the internet would have to actually be part of that work. And I Mm. don't know conceptually how to frame being online as part of the content of the work. No.
0: Yeah. That's, that's interesting, um, Yeah, that's an interesting pause in the process that most people seem to be rushing into. Like, we have this, so we use this.
1: No, and it's also in April and May, I got, you know, I could tell that something, everybody was freaking out. I got so many requests to do stuff online, Mm -hmm. you know, like the fair moved online, everything. So, you and, you know, it's also, for me, at least it was very interesting just to see, and also very sad in a way, because, you know, it's obviously not going to be the same as looking at art the same way. And so in a sense, it's almost looking at all of these institutions just like set up to fail. You know what I mean? Because it's the first time is never going to be like the same. So it's always going to be a failure, you know, so it's like, okay, online platform by default has failed. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then at some point, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Um, Another reason I wanted to include you in this project, too, is because you're an artist who thinks in very long geologic timelines. And, uh, but yeah. there's a lot of acute historical things happening in 2020. So, you know, our secretary, Lonnie Bunch, has identified two pandemics COVID 19 and racism. Of course. Uh, yeah. And anti black racism. And I wonder how you're uh, thinking about that, what you're seeing as an Angelino in your city as responses yeah. to it. Yeah.
1: I mean, it was incredible to see the amount and, and I think of social movement during a pandemic, too. It was just like, can you imagine how much risk there was, even in addition to like, of course, regular police, violence, brutality and everything, but at least to be able to like consciously put yourself at risk of a disease for the thing that you actually can see that is a very big problem. Mm-hmm. And so in a sense, I think that it's like the, the the maybe COVID has actually helped uh, put things more black and white, where it's like, I will take less because the borders are so much clearly defined that like when George Floyd thing happened was like, no way that there's no gray anymore. It has to be just like, yes or no. And there's a no, no, no. But I do think that in terms of my own work in relationship to the social movement that is happening, it has been so amazing because now, you know, all of these institutions are rethinking their collection and the history of colonialism and how mm. these collections are built. I love Yosomi Omolu's like 15 points of knowledge and care that was printed, you know. Because I was like, this is basically what I'm building all of my projects about, you know? But for me, it has been like so much like softer touch because I do know that, you know, when I work with other collections before, I'm not trying to come in as like, you're doing something wrong. Like you have to fix it. Like it's your responsibility, this very aggressive thing, but more like, here's an opportunity for us to like, talk about it because obviously people who work in collections and institutions now are bound by the existing system and you know they're inheriting like this older point of view that now you know is not their like paid job to do and they might get fired or it's like you know the institution is such a dinosaur yeah slow moving thing that like many of the ways that the collections are being thought it's like seventy style or older and now mm-hmm. this has like m- put a flame on that institutional ass you know, to like get your shit together or even just talk about it yeah. and so in a sense I have actually thought that, you know, because I have edited the way that I have presented those works before, not to come so confrontational, because I don't want to, like, I want to, you know, when I think about those projects, I think of the people working in the institution as the primary audience, Mm -hmm. because they are the ones who will actually have to think through the project together through conversations and might actually change the way things are. The secondary viewer is the audience who might see this whole system and like, see what is happening in there Mm -hmm. but to me um you know with these questions of the social movement that is happening now I think that it has provided like uh you know an opportunity to like really for my benefit I don't even have to really say anymore before I was like I have to give a lot of convincing and being like no it's not that I'm saying this thing and now by default it's like no now it has become very like I said more black and white where Where people are actually even considering deaccessioning which was not considered before you know deaccessioning was something that you cannot even bring up at all Mm -hmm. and now it's actually a possibility because of you know really more black and white questioning about collections knowing how things got there and what how how people in the institution can actually you know have a position that is more aligned to the social climate of today and not you know, ancient institutional practice that were inherited.
0: Yeah, yeah. Smithsonian turns 175 next year. <laughs> but speaking uh,
1: Abuelitos. To, the,
0: <laughs> to that point, though, of um, Duke Session being talked about and continuing to work for these collections. So, and go back to the beginning a little bit. Does it look like Chalk will get his cositas back?
1: I don't know. You know, the 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 thing for me is not that like I can just provide a sort of system if the institute but it's just setting up a way for somebody else to actually produce the work you know what I mean like I myself cannot return those things it has to be voluntary you know what I mean like I'm just feeling like a lawyer like here I'm presenting a point but I cannot take these like the director has to do it you know what I mean so in a sense Uh, I mean, my focus with chalk and I'm also doing these projects with like dead people, dead bodies and collections is because it's differentiating between the types of archaeology where it's like there are some objects that are ritual objects and like afterlife objects and, you know, of course, body parts and mummies that their function doesn't stop with death. You know what I mean? Like the afterlife is forever like rituals are forever, like spiritual world is forever. So in a sense, those objects still are doing the original function that they were meant to do. Like those objects will forever be, uh, you know, um, offerings to chalk. Chalk never will disappear. You know what I mean? So in a sense, the original function is still happening. And the institutional sort of reframing that I'm proposing is like Whose perspective will you value? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Of course, there's like a Western collecting thing where we have to view and collect and all these things. But like, what about chalk? Like, when did he ever go away? And why is he not a priority? You know, I'm not a very spiritual, like mystical believer person, but I do think that it's like somebody who deposited that object in that hole really believed it. And so in a sense, why are we saying that like the, 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 objective of the museum or collection is more important than the original feeling that that person had and how can we actually compromise where both functions might be able to exist somehow you know what i mean not that one has to take place over the other i'm not also proposing like some sort of weird like repatriation or like essentialism or whatever but more like an additive function instead of uh you you know, know like one or the other no
0: human donors are acknowledged on wall text why is chalk not acknowledged as the giver of the object? yeah yeah
1: and yeah and it's also for example like many of the you know many of the body parts or like mummies or things that are in collections those people never thought that they would be on display or on view and Mm -hmm. so you know what i think about is also there are so many things that we know about like you know our bodies ourselves like I have agency over my physical body. I am my own person. I can decide the rights over my body, et cetera, while you're alive. It's like why should that stop when you die? Like it's your physical yeah. body too. And so I think a lot of these these subjects are in, 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 in relationship to like, you know, pro life people. You know, they're talking about like embryos. And so I'm mm-hmm. thinking, okay, embryo is kind of also in between category where it's like, is it human? Is it not? Like it's still, it's just a mass and an object. And so then in a sense, it's like your body after you die is similar category where it's like, it's not fully human anymore, but it's still this mass that is on the side, like who does it belong to? And can you yourself have agency to say Mm. what you want done with it, no? Or how can you project like, you know, thousand, thousand years ago, what this person might've wanted, no?
0: That's incredible. Oh, okay, last question. So, this is the record for the future. What do you think a researcher artist in 100 years needs to know about being an artist in the US in 2020?
1: Oh, well, that's amazing. I love this thing because I love thinking of making projects for people who the audience will be, like exactly when I'm like, not audience Mm -hmm. of now, but planting these sort of seeds and I do think that the moment today you know has made me feel so much so nimble you know what I mean where it's like you know I think that most artists who once you start getting traction you sort of get settled into like the practicality of making work and you get sort of atrophied in a sense where it's like, I'm used to this thing Then you have to like sell work and produce for shows and exhibitions. And now that it's all out the window, it feels like I'm back in grad school when there was no money, no studio, no nothing. And those were the times when the best work was actually made because there wasn't some practical thing attaching your practice to be like, how can it actually be produced? And so to be able to just focus on the intention, you know, like the best case scenario for everything because nothing is possible you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. like i don't even know if any of this works that i'm making now will even be made at all you know what i mean because i feel so much like more emboldened like i said to you before i was proposing like this very sort of muted version of what i was thinking and so the now in a sense it's like i don't care like let's just say what we mean yeah. you know what i mean yeah And I know it's not practical at all, but like, what is practicality now? Like, you know, when did you even think that you would ever be afraid of going into the grocery store? You know, like milk, getting milk is not practical right now. So like any type of artwork that you might want to make, like, I feel so liberated in that sense, like in my mind, Mm. also because it helps me with anxiety for real life, because it's like, you know, real life is unmanageable. So in a sense, it's how how are you gonna like make your brain not like get overwhelmed with this anxiousness of the the reality of things and in a sense i think that being able to like think through projects and these larger unachievable potential you know who knows maybe we'll see in a hundred years they'll be like and then it was done (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs)
0: That's great. that would be so
1: amazing
0: i know that we actually did something and they see it a hundred years later we don't know we're doing it
1: no, 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 it's like before and after, like, yes, we we're making plans, and they're now logical, and they're like, yes, you did it, like, oh, 30 yeah. years from now, or yeah. whatever.
0: Well, let's make But <laughs> well, Thank you so much for this.
1: Of course. <laughs> I can't wait. Is it going to be possible to hear the other one? Hello? Josh? Josh? I'm glad we got disconnected at the end.